morning, why don't you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, page 857 in the uh, Pew Bibles that have been provided for you. 857, and we're going to start with Luke 2, starting at verse 8 and going through 14. Luke 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy before all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. So last week, last week, Michael, when he preached, he preached from Isaiah 59, and he made it very clear as we're preparing, Advent is this season of waiting, of longing, of looking forward to Christ's coming. And last week, Mike kind of laid a very, intentionally laid a very bleak that we on our own are hopeless. Israel was, had a real deep and urgent sense of hopelessness that the children of Israel were just longing for something to come through, a breakthrough of some sort. They, but they were hopeless. Every system that was set up for their security was broken down. Every national sense of security was gone. They were hopeless. All their systems of safety and security were obliterated. Their crookedness and their separation from God, there was nothing that could bridge the gap. They were hopeless. But there was always this glimmer of hope. God intervened. We see this in Isaiah 59. God declared that there was no man, there was no system that could bring about hope. No man or system that could bring about salvation, bring about true life. And God provided hope through a promise. In Isaiah 59, verse 20, he said this, And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. This is hope. A Redeemer is going to be coming. God promised a Redeemer is going to be coming. Listen to as Isaiah 69. Arise and shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and a thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nation shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. Isaiah is saying, look. Do you see that light down there? That is your hope. God had come to their rescue. And as Isaiah had, seen, had said, 
God promised his own arm will bring about salvation. So this morning, we read Luke 2, verse 15. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the first hymn, the first song of Christmas. This is the first song that is broken out and everybody is singing. All of heaven breaks out and sings a song. And what is the first thing they sing? Glory to God in the highest. And there's peace for you. If you're a music nutty, you know that songs come from somewhere, right? If, if you know anything about songs, maybe your, your favorite uh, artists, you know that they all have some kind of history. Why did they write this song? Or why did she read that, write that song? Well, let me give you some examples. Bob Marley. I know, he's really appropriate for a church service. But let me, let me give you a, a Bob Marley, a uh, little bit of history. I shot the sheriff. Is it really about Bob Marley wanting to shoot a sheriff? No. Clearly, Bob Marley is not around anymore to defend himself but to tell the story behind the song, but Bob Marley's ex-girlfriend surfaced last year claiming that it, was, it is in fact about Bob Marley's displeasure about her being on contraceptive, a contraceptive pill. So you're going, you're ruining my song. Apparently the sheriff, John Brown of the lyric, is an allusion to a doctor prescribing a pill. There's a history to that song. Or Van Halen's Jump. We all, you go to like a, a wedding party and everybody's waiting for it. You know, we're jumping all at the same time. There's really a story behind it and it's actually pretty bleak. It came out of David Lee Roth hearing a bunch of people trying to convince a man to jump off of a building. To commit suicide. And some of the people were saying, don't jump. Don't jump. And he said, he thought to himself, jump. You too, in the name of love. Where did, where did that come from? It was released on their, their Unforgettable Fire album. And it was a song about Jesus, who was the one that was betrayed with a kiss. And it was also about Martin Luther King Jr. So all of these songs, have some kind of history that, that comes out of the heart of a songwriter and the singers and a band. And we've got the angels here who are singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Why in the world would they be singing this song? Bono had a reason for writing his songs. Bob Marley has a reason for singing his songs. Every, what does the fox say? I don't know why that song, if there's really any meaning to that at all. But it, it came out of some weird comedian group desiring to... Norwegians just must be weird. Um, <laughs> but it all comes out of somewhere, right? And so the angels are... The first song that they sing, the first things off of their lips is glory to God in the highest. It's a hymn of celebration about a baby's birth, the Messiah that was promised. But these words are also, in a very clear way, they define your need and they define my need. 
And in these defining our needs, they define the mission of that baby that's found in a manger. We've been walking through the whole story of Advent, not just starting off with a manger, because that's what our society wants. Let's start off with a manger. Our need comes from a deep need that we are all deeply broken, that we are hopeless, people without a cause, without hope. And the angels are saying, glory to God in the highest. These words capture our need. Glory and peace are two principal words of this little boy. Glory to God in the highest. So this morning I'm going to walk through a few things about this announcement. I want us to understand what does this word glory even mean. It's one of those Christianese words that we all go, oh, well, glory. You know, I think about grandma. Well, glory be. You know, what in the world does that even mean? It's such a Christian word. And what is it that we, if we understand glory, what is it that we glory in? And lastly, why give the highest glory to God? So first, what does glory mean? Well, if you've been around the Christian circle for any amount of time, you've probably heard phrases like, well, I'm just trying to live to the glory of God. Or uh, we're just trying to glorify God in our family what does that mean? Have you ever stopped somebody and said, so what, tell me, what, what does that mean? And they'll give you that look like, I don't know, why are you asking me that question? I just say it all the time. So this morning, I want us to understand that glory is a biblical word that it's not even easy for me to really nail down. And I'm suspect, I suspect in this room, it's not easy for many of you too to be able to say, oh, here's my definition of glory. It's different than saying, give me a definition of what a square is. And you'll all go, well, it's, it's a four-sided figure that has all equal sides. The, the corners are perpendicular. Uh, that, that's what a square is. Well, good for you. Define glory now. So I had to do my research, and I had to really struggle through what does it mean. So I came upon a number of different theologians. The first one was A. Richardson. He said this, the glory of God is thus, in effect, the term to use, use to express what we can comprehend, originally by sight, of the presence of God on the earth. John Calvin said this, The glory of God is when we know what He is. John Piper kind of gave two different pieces. He said, Glory is the going public of God's infinite worth, the radiance of his manifold, infinitely worthy and valuable perfections. You might say that glory is everything about God just bursting forth. Everything about him is just radiating out. It's everything that he is, everything that he should be in our lives, just glowing God's glory is all of God's perfections shining out. It's all of His greatness being known to all of creation. Glory. It's like a candle lit in a perfectly dark cave. You can define darkness by the, the absence of light, but you light a candle or a match in a cave 
And what does it do? It fills the whole room with light. That is what God's glory is. Everything brightly shining out about God Himself. The question is, what do we glory in? I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, but you tend to be, and I tend to be, a tad bit, well, I should say, we are overtly glory-focused, especially when it comes to ourselves. You are very glory-attentive. You are very glory-seeking. I am a bit glory-obsessed. I'm all about, I want you to see everything about, well, maybe not everything about me, but everything that I want to reveal to you, I want you to see in all of its splendor. I want you to see all my perfections, I want you to see all my talents. I want you to see all my gifts. I want you to see, see my amazing good looks. I want you to see all those things. And I want those things to absolutely shine out. I want everything about my life that is good and beautiful to be seen. And in some way, I want you to enjoy those things about me. I want you, when you hear a great sermon, there's that part inside me that's glory-seeking that wants you to kind of pat me on the back and say, oh, Pastor Paul, that was a phenomenal, it brought a tear to my eye, and it just changed my life. I know this is going to be that sermon that I'm going to remember for you, and I'm going to go, yes, I know. <laughs> or I, I want my wife to say, Paul, there is no other man in the universe that could ever be anything compared to you. You fulfill all of my needs. You are the, you are the head of our home that I, I entrust my entire self to. Paul, you are the definition of masculine. You are the definition of handsome. You are the definition of perfection. Paul, that is who you are. And I want to say, I know. And deep inside all of us, we have that deep longing, don't we? We are glory-focused. We want everything about me that is good and beautiful and perfect to shine out. We want, even if you are introverted, there's that deep part of you that says, notice me, validate me for who I am. You were created because of that. You were created, whether you want to admit it or not, you were created so that the principal motivation would be glory. Genesis 3, the story of what happened in, with Adam and Eve. They were living in absolute perfection with God. Everything was absolutely beautiful and wonderful. They walked with God in the garden in the cool of the night. They conversed with God and they communed with God. Everything was beautiful. They saw the glory of God, all of his perfections, because they were in perfect unity with God. But then in just one moment, Adam and Eve were seeking their own glory. A snake whispered to them. Satan said, did God really say that? Did he really say that? Don't you want to be like God? And with one bite of the forbidden fruit, everything changed. 
And our desire has been ever since that day distorted and bent and crooked. Started with just one. One deep desire. And our desire is ultimately was to have the glory of God in view. Our hearts long for that perfect walk again. For that perfect communion with God. And we, we long to find it, but we often search for it in other relationships. We find it in knowledge. We find it in jobs. We find it in our finances. We find it in church activity or lack of church activity. We long for finding that perfect communion again. And we look for it wherever we can find it. If I have a glory problem, if you have a glory problem, then it's a heart issue. We have broken hearts. The problem isn't so much, honestly, my relationships. The problem isn't so much my situation that I find myself in today. My problem is something broken in my heart. King David, the psalmist, gets it right when he says this. He prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. God, I recognize that I am glory-seeking. In fact, that psalm came out of his marital unfaithfulness, desiring Bathsheba, killing Bathsheba's husband Uriah, and out of his, him seeking glory and satisfaction and pleasure elsewhere, David quickly realized that he was broken, and he said, God, create in me a clean heart. Creating me a cleaner. And that's what we need. We need a radical, personal, long-term heart change because we are the problem. That's our problem. And the process of coming to Christ and His coming to us is that He is coming to address our problem. God says, I will give you a new heart. Not just a, a clean heart. I will give you a new heart. I will take the heart of stone out of you and I will replace it with a heart of flesh that feels and loves and understands who I am. That's his work. That a stony heart resistant to change would become a heart that is alive by God's work and able to change. And that people who once lived for their own glory, for their own satisfaction, for their own purpose, their own desires, their own needs and wants, would now by His grace live for His glory, for His radiance. They would live for everything that He is and everything that He desires, everything that He has created us to be. Not just on religious matters, but in the everydayness of our lives, that God would come and deeply change your heart to appreciate, to love, and to worship God's perfections and to deeply live for the desires of God. 
So why give, why give glory to God? Why give Him the highest level of glory, of adoration, of worship, of pleasure? Why give it to this God that is out there but yet here and with us today? Why should we do that? One of my famous, one of the famous and my favorite dead guys is a guy named uh, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon wrote this in a 1950, 1857 sermon. On my birthday, December 20, 1857, he wrote this sermon. It was called The First Christmas Carol. What is the, he says this, what is the instructive lesson to be learned from the first syllable of the angel's song? Why this? The salvation, that salvation is God's highest glory. He goes on to say, He is glorified in every dewdrop that twinkles to the morning sun. He is magnified in every wood flower that blossoms in the copse although it live in blush unseen and waste its sweetness in the forest air. God is glorified in every bird that warbles on the spray, in every lamb that skips the mead. Do not the fishes in the sea praise him from the tiny minnow to the huge leviathan? Do not all creatures that swim the water bless and praise his name? Do not all created things extol him? Is there aught beneath the sky, save man, that doth not glorify God? Do not the stars exalt him when they write his name upon the azure of heaven in their golden letters? Do not the lightnings adore him when they flash their brightness in the arrows of light piercing the midnight darkness? Do not the thunders extol him when they roll like drums in the march of, God, of the God of their armies? Do not all things exalt him from the least even to the greatest? But sing, sing, O universe, till thou hast exhausted thyself. Thou cannot afford a song so sweet as the song of incarnation. Though carnation, creation may be a majestic organ of praise, it cannot reach the compass of the golden canticle the incarnation. All of creation is beaming about God. All of creation is longing for His second coming. Everything is pointing to Him and desiring Him. And that should be our heart's desire too. The announcement of the incarnation of Jesus was earth-shattering. The promises of Isaiah 59 and 16 60 are coming to life. A redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Arise, behold, a light has come. God's glory. Everything perfect, everything beautiful, everything about who God is, is in His Son, Jesus Christ. And everything about that beams out. 
Everything beams out. We could say, given the definition that I gave earlier, that the Son of God radiates the infinite worth of God and all that God is so that we can see and know God. When, when the angels broke that seam of heaven and sang that first song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. There's peace for you. When, could you imagine being a shepherd in that moment? You are out there just watching your sheep, cooking a little bit of lamb stew, huddling you know, underneath, underneath a blanket, and then boom, the entire heavens light up with just one angel. And usually when angels show up, it is because they are bringing about an announcement of judgment. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up. And they are saying, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all men and all women and all children for humanity. For today has been born to you a child who is Christ the Lord. This is how you're going to know him. He's going to be wrapped up. He's going to be found in a, in a manger. And then all of a sudden they do what? Heaven rips open. And it's like you get a glimpse into heaven. All the light of heaven shines out. And angels are singing this song. Glory to God. Glory to God. Why are they singing that? Because God's greatest passion, because He is perfect, because of who He is, God's greatest pleasure, God's greatest happiness, God's greatest delight, His supreme delight is Himself. And He deserves it. There's nothing broken. There's nothing imperfect. There's nothing painful. There's only beauty in God. And He is bringing about what? Salvation. The angels are announcing hope. And I don't know where you are today. Where you are as a, a man, as a woman, as a child. I don't know where you are spiritually with the Lord. And even those of you who have been in the church your entire life, the question is still for you. I don't know where you are with God. Maybe you can crank out some really good deeds or maybe you can even say, oh, glory to God. We're trying to glorify God. But I don't know where really your heart is. But in this announcement that these angels are saying, they are saying, listen, the highest glory and praise and adoration needs to go to God. Why? Because He is bringing peace to you. He's providing hope for you. I don't know where, what you're searching for. Maybe you're trying to find hope and future and pleasure in sex. Maybe you're trying to find hope and future in your knowledge. Maybe it's trying to find hope and future in your children or your grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Maybe it's trying to find that hope in a college career and then a job. 
Maybe it's finding a spouse, that husband or that wife that is going to meet all those needs, deep found needs inside of you. I'm going to tell you they're all going to fail. All going to fail because the angels have it right. It's only God who can meet your deepest needs. And because of that, we need to be able to echo out with the angels, glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Because he has brought me peace and favor. John Calvin points this out. We never truly glory in him until we have utterly discarded our own glory. Whoso glories in himself glories against God. So whatever your, if you are clinging on to a husband that is, man, he is going to bring me hope and he's going to carry me through to the end, you are battling against the glory of God who is far more perfect than your husband. Let me tell you, God is far more perfect than your husband. I don't care what kind of a partner he is, God is far more perfect. If you are clinging onto a job, onto some kind of career path that is going to financially provide you all the needs that you, you can ever hope or desire, and maybe you even study four years, or if you're in college now, five or six years, or seven years till you finally graduate, but you're clinging onto a career that will provide you all the meaning in life, I'm going to tell you that job is empty. Truly empty. It might give you temporary little taste of satisfaction. But apart from Christ and you glorying in that job, that person, you're hopeless. You see, God loves His people infinitely. And God loves His people perfectly he sent his son to die that he might have us that he might have us and that we might have him see that's the beauty of this song that god provides peace we're to glory in him because he he provided peace so that we could have god god can have us and god will not let us settle for wonderful and happy thoughts of self. He's not going to let you settle. If you are in Christ, He's not going to let you settle for just happy thoughts of you or happy thoughts of this person or happy thoughts of this engagement or happy thoughts of this potential career path. He's not going to let you settle with just those happy thoughts. Not even a saved and glorified self. He's not going to let you just be satisfied and say, hey, I'm a Christian. Look at how good I am. Aren't I wonderful? God's going to say, no. Now apparently you're glorying in yourself again. He will not let our glory, our perfections which he himself creates and delights in, replace 
His glory as our supreme treasure. That would not be love. That would not be love. Here's the deal. We are loved by God. We are precious to God. And the greatest gift He has for us is not to let our preciousness become God. God will be our God. God alone. Forever. And this is infinite love. We get the Savior. He gets the glory. We get the good news of great joy. He gets the praise. That's God's design in sending His Son. That's how God loves us. And that's the announcement. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Next week we're going to move on. If you don't have a church family, I want to really encourage you, come back. Hear the next piece. Because this isn't the end of the story here. It keeps on building. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not just a simple formula. But it is like looking into a diamond and seeing all the facets and the beauty of Christ and His desire for us, for you.